Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, a podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I have got Nick Randall in to talk to me today. Thanks for coming in, Nick. Thank you for having me, Brent. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to have you in there because um, as regular people that tune to the podcast would know, we have Scotty Williams on quite often for the podcast, but now I've got a decent fitness trainer, so it's good to have you in instead of Scotty for a change. <laughs> I'm not sure about decent compared to Scotty, but it's nice. Hopefully, I can give a different perspective anyway. Yeah, as I said, any chance to give a bit of a salute to Scotty's always welcome on the podcast. So, no, that's all good. We'll, we'll have some have some fun today. So, for those that don't know you, give us a bit of a background story of Nick Randall. Um, yeah, I, I won't go all the way back to like childhood, but um, from from a, from a career perspective, uh, I came out to Australia in 2009 from the UK. I'd actually been living in Spain for a couple of years prior to that. At that point, I had um, zero clue what I wanted to do with my life from a career perspective, um, and I fell into um, I, fell, I fell into working with a coach uh, down at Pelican Waters in, in southeast Queensland, and um, he invited someone along who gave a little talk on golf fitness, and it was me and like four of the members in the room, um, and I just thought I had this you know the, those light bulb moments people talk about. It was this guy was talking about how he basically you know, part of his job as an exercise physiologist was to work with golfers and help them with their fitness and help them with, you know, that was supposed to have a carry-on effect to their their golf swing. And he showed us a few exercises and stuff and just um, the light bulb just came on straight away and was like, man, that is what I want to do. My, my main passions at that point were and still are golf and fitness and anything kind of strength training related. And so I thought, why not just put those two together and, and create a career? So... I um, immediately went out and started doing some personal training qualifications um, and um, started kind of uh, pestering local golf coaches in the area to, to watch them teach and, and try and get an idea of of where I need to educate myself and how I needed to kind of progress to start getting clients who are golfers and start working with them. Um, and quite quickly, I, I, got, I bumped into Grant Field via a, a client that I was working with at the time. Grant is... Uh, one of the leading coaches in Australia um, and uh, coaches Cameron Smith and Grant was just setting up an academy at Twin Waters with Anthony Gilligan and um, and Grant basically said look we'd love to have a fitness trainer on board would you be interested and I said yep dropped dropped the the uh, personal training role I was in at the time cold and then uh, basically rushed up to Twin with no clients whatsoever uh, and then started working with Grant and um and really never looked back. It just sort of, everything's kind of fell into place from there and made a lot of sense. Grant um, was great in introducing me to lots of different people in the industry. He was obviously coaching a lot of good players, one of whom was Cam Smith. And um, that just opened loads of doors for me. Um, so I owe, I owe Grant an awful lot for putting his trust in me. And, and uh, it was definitely the kickstart of my career. That's a, that's a big call for Grant to obviously come to you straight away and say, okay, come and work with me. So you are obviously doing something out there that he that caught his eye. So what type of golf work were you doing prior to getting involved with him? Honestly, I think it was just my willingness to to work, to to shadow and work for, for nothing at the start. You know, I think he sort of thought, oh, this kid's keen. Um, he, he, he looks like he, he could learn to learn all the stuff that he needs to because I was – really unskilled and, and hardly had any knowledge base at that, that point. I could I can play a bit, 
and I can lift and I can move well and I, I can I could I think I had a relatively easy um or natural way of communicating with people and so that made things easier and then he just saw how willing I was to to study and learn and, and absorb it all and took a punt up where did you go to seek that training in golf specifically back then? Was there a certain spot you went or did you just go and hunt out some of the, the golfing trainers out there and learn from them or how did you find out that information? Yeah, I went um, – I read a lot of Sean Cochran's stuff. Uh, he has worked with Phil Mickelson for, for many, many years and he's got some really good um, – he's got some really good information that's relatively accessible, you know, and, and you can pay – 30 or 40 bucks for a PDF and it's super comprehensive and it's got loads of stuff in there. And so I started off on that. I bought uh, the entire Ramsey McMaster package, which was like this. Um, I, I bought it. I didn't really know what I was getting. And then a, a week later, about 18 different CDs turned up in the mail and I had like, again, just unbelievable amounts of information. It wasn't particularly well organized, uh, but it gave me an insight into a totally different way of doing things, obviously Ramsey's style. Uh, and then I was, again, lucky enough, kind of through Grant and, and through my own kind of outreach to um, to meet Ramsey and then got invited down to a couple of his camps down at Muna, uh, did a qualification with him, um, and that kind of opened a few doors in the Gulf Australia sort of realm as well. Um, so, yeah, Ramsey was Ramsey was a big, big influence and a motivator and um, inspiration in my early part of my career as well. Comes up all the time, Ramsey. He's um, yeah, certainly with 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 regards to trainers and coaches, he's just um was and a super person. Um, so willing to share training and share ideas, and I still have those CD ROMs as well that you've got. I'm sure floating around somewhere as well. And he was just so open to sharing information incredibly generous with his time uh, and just wanted to share with uh, with no expectation of getting anything back he was um really really rare um really rare person uh, let alone in the golf industry just in the world yeah in, in the golf world in especially in the golf fitness world it's like it's like two degrees of ramsey master you only have to go one person to the left or right and there's a connection there it comes up constantly during the podcast, and I still bring it up. He hurt that, hurt me big time when it came to me trying to be a player and him doing work on my body. So he's a he certainly put the put the pain into the the, the players as well. Yeah, yeah, he didn't take any prisoners on the massage table. Yeah. <laughs> so how did your setup with Grant work early on? How were you tying into his coaching? How were you setting up your side of the, the of the training for for players? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So. Um, we had basically started with an empty academy building uh, with he had two mats and a, and a big range and a good short game area that he was teaching out of not much tech at all in the facility uh, no no uh, no track man no no ball tracking technology or um, real setup cameras or anything like that it was fairly basic and i had a i had a 25 square meter carpeted room to work with and it was like concrete floor and then like the thinnest carpet you can possibly think of uh, I had a giant, um, you know, the explainer, the um, the huge uh, cylindrical, spherical kind of um, swing path guide thing. I had one of those in there, and I, I've got an early photo of of the setup, and it was the room, uh, really well and a bunch of spiky balls and a bunch of Ramsey's belts, and that's all I started with. <laughs> and it was so it was it was challenging to try and um, it was challenging to do any real strength work at that point. But to be honest with you, at that point, I was really focused on doing a lot of posture, mobility, um, 
self maintenance and um, and uh, kind of movement pattern work, which was again heavily influenced by by Ramsey there, and then working really really closely with Grant. So I'd be in, I'd be sitting in on a lot of his lessons, and he'd say, "Look, this player's really struggling with this. You know, it might be a, a right shoulder sort of setting issue." And I'd come in, okay, have a look at his range of motion or his her range of motion, her stability. Do a couple of quick tests, and it was really. Uh, kind of interactive in those early stages. So, how has it changed over over time? Obviously, you've got you've still got setups with coaches now. How has that evolved? How has your your training and your, your processes changed over time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've definitely, as as I've got gotten more educated, um, I've definitely um, gone more down the strength and conditioning route um, using strength training. Um, to improve posture and function, and it's almost a byproduct of the strength training. If done with if done with correct form and awareness, the players seem to evolve into these postural positions without a lot of direct cueing, which is helpful. I think um, early on, I suppose uh, in the physio world, and this is I suppose a product of spending a lot of time with physiotherapists at the time, especially who were working kind of using the Ramsey method, it was, it was very much, um, it was, we were working really closely to, with the golf swing uh, and that had some, some good effects, but I think some, some that perhaps might've been confusing for the players. There was a lot of information. Um, there was a lot of information that was potentially contradictory or it was, and it was really technically focused, uh, which I think worked for some people, but perhaps not for others. Um, and so I've, I've moved, I've, I don't work as closely in the golf swing anymore it's really um it's really kind of more focused on improving the physical capacities and the potential and then the player sort of working that out for themselves as to how that that can benefit their golf swing um so i'm up yeah that would be the main change in my techniques i suppose and the way i program and the way i train people is it's more focused on let's just get you, you know, mobile and stable and strong and um and moving well in the gym and let that transfer with the coaching that you're going to be getting. Yeah, I, th- I think, and I probably have seen that seen that switch as well. And it was very like again back in the training back when I was a trainee when we were seeing stuff done by Ramsey and the sports institutes. It was very much have your golf club in the gym with you, and it was very much golf swing focused. And I think it is a change now. It's about making your body physically stronger, um, just improving the way you move physically and then applying that in a in a golf swing point of view on the on, on the practice fairway as opposed to in the gym so that makes a whole lot of sense yeah i don't know whether one is better than the other um it's difficult to difficult to tell really um i think i'm more comfortable in this space because inevitably you start talking about a golf swing and then it's very easy to overstep the mark and say something that you shouldn't or that confuses a player and sends them down the wrong path and and some some elite players like Cameron um is very very good at just tuning out what he doesn't need to hear um <laughs> that goes for just life as well as his golf swing um he, he's very he knows what he knows he's very um he's very secure in his in his abilities and and I think that was really helpful for him to be able to just tune out what he and and it still is really helpful to him now out on tour because there's still a lot of information being offered and flying around there. 
but some some players that perhaps aren't as secure or perhaps go looking for information they they're really easily influenced i didn't realize quite how profound an effect you can have with with uh, going down the technical path it's um it was i had a had a question on my notepad here about to ask you why golf and you kind of answered that already that you you saw it there and just you've gone straight down that path any any regret for choosing golf as a pathway or do you are you still excited getting out there and dealing with golfers every day or is it is it is it still a passion for you yeah uh no no regrets at all i mean when i speak to other um you know uh, colleagues or acquaintances who are in the strength and conditioning field and they've come through a multi-sport background um, i do see how i've got gaps in my knowledge especially re- related to conditioning uh, golf's obviously played at a walking pace and i'm um, i just don't have any experience of, of conditioning and so it's, it's not easy for me to then go and work with a player who or an athlete that's in a different sport that isn't just like a stationary rotational striking sport i'm okay with you know, okay, yeah, baseball or cricket or, or, or tennis, for example. But then you get onto a field-based sport and I'm fairly clueless. So the only regret there would be my limit to ex- my the limit how much I've been limited in exposure to other other sports. Um, but yeah, to answer your other question, do I still love it? Yeah, I, I, I'm still really passionate about it. I, I would. I've had opportunities to go down other paths and I've I've stuck with golf just because, um, not just because it, I know it. And I'm comfortable in it, but also I love it. Yeah. Well, it's probably a space that's still still growing, isn't it? It's a space where I don't think we've tapped into the full sports science areas that we can as 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 golf coaches or as in golf in general. Whereas other sports maybe have gone down that sports science path um, 10, 20, 30 years earlier than we have. So there's probably still untapped stuff out there for you to do. Yeah, I think we're still learning, uh, definitely, um, and. Bryson DeChambeau has shown us probably what's possible, um, and and dispelled quite a few myths and um, and opened up a whole new field of well, geez, how strong is strong enough? Uh, how powerful is powerful enough? Uh, I think that 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 will and already is starting to um, channel people, channel the sports science direction in the strength power. Um, in, in the strength power area, where whereas opposed was previously, it was kind of considered. Oh, you know, if you get strongish, if you get kind of kind of powerful, then that's good, and you can probably optimize a little bit on your club head speed. But um, Bryson's shown us what you can do in the case in the in the, over a span of eighteen months. And I think that the young players coming through now, the next generation of elite players, will be demanding that from their from their physical training. And then, and then, and then, and then the coaches are going to have to have to meet that. That makes complete sense, and it's, it's changed so much. Even in say probably twenty years that I've been involved with with golf, and back when I was trying to play, it was all about stretching and doing light weight, high rep type type training. It's certainly changed since then, and it's good to see guys like you and Scotty and the guys on the cutting edge of this training field push that towards golfers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's nice. Um, yeah, it's good to see. It's really good to see. I think golf is catching up with with other sports in terms of athletic performance and what's possible. So, talk me through working with tour players and how you set yourself up in that space and what type of training you do. Obviously, you've had some some um, training with Cam Smith at some point in time with with Grant there. So, talk me through how it's like working with tour players. Yeah, so <clears throat> I first got on tour because um, obviously working with Cameron. 
in uh, oh, it was it would have been 2014, 2015. He turned pro age 19, went out on the Asian tour, and pretty much finished top 10 every week for the entire season, culminating in finishing fifth, I think, um, at the CIMB Classic in Malaysia, which was a co-sanctioned event between the Asian Tour and the PJ Tour, which then got him a start in, um, yeah, geez, where was it? In, in Mobile, what was it? It was in Alabama, I think. It was one of the lesser events. Sanderson Farms, that's the one. The, um, so he got a start in that, and I was with him in Malaysia. The whole team was with him, uh, Grant, myself, and his manager, Ian, and a couple of his friends. And I put my hand up and said, look, Cam's got this start. He probably needs someone to go with him. I'll go. And so as opposed to flying back from Malaysia to Brisbane, I flew over to, to, to the US with him and, um, and, went and, played, and went and sort of helped him out with that tournament, which was really fun. And then he played, he got us to start the week after as well, I think, in Mexico maybe. And I'm pretty sure I stayed on for that one too. And then I came back and Cam came back and we kind of reevaluated. And it looked like he had a really good opportunity to actually um, gain a PGA Tour card through those um, through some sponsors exemptions and then trying to accrue enough money in his first season to, to retain his card or to earn his card and so um, at that stage I was still doing distance stuff so Cam would come back and I would train him and then he would go back out into the States and play a couple of events and he was kind of coming in, in between the, uh, here in Australia and he managed to earn enough money. I think I think one of his last events he had he was eligible for was the US Open. I think he finished fourth there at um where was it up in Seattle there? Um and um then he earned his card and it was kind of obvious that okay, he was gonna move over there and it would be helpful to have one of his team with him to help him sort of not only with his physical stuff but also sort of just settle in. So again I put my hand up and my wife and I moved over to the US and Cam lived with us for six or seven months in a like a small little apartment. And, you know, we'd go out to tournaments and work on, you know, try and get his physical stuff going. But it was a real kind of focus on playing and play as many tournaments as he could. And again, trying to consolidate his card in his first year. And then, yeah, that that year led, led me into working with some other players. So um, Jonas Blitz lives in the same areas as, as we were living. Uh, and Cam now, now is based there full time. And I started working a little bit with Jonas because he had a sore back um, and I made a relationship with his coach. Um, and so working with Jonas led to working with Harris English uh, and then Matt Every uh, and then a couple of um, of uh, web.com as it was at the time, uh, Corn Ferry Tour players who were based in, in Jacksonville, Florida. And um, so I did that for a couple of years. And yeah, that was a fantastic experience. That was really it was really eye-opening as well. It was it was great to work with players at the highest level. Uh, it was great to work on tour and, and tick off so many of those bucket list places that you want to go, like the Masters and the US Open and all the majors. And you go to, I went to the, all these fantastic golf courses and, and that was a really, really cool experience. And behind the ropes as well, you know, just being in a locker room when world number one, they're walking through and getting a bit of treatment and, and meeting all those people was great. Um, but, after a couple of years, I actually realized that the lifestyle probably wasn't really wasn't for me. It was, um, it is a bit like a traveling circus. It's quite repetitive and it's actually quite dull after a while. Once you've, once you've kind of done it a couple of times for each tournament, you, you end up going back and 
you know, you get in like you get in Monday lunchtime to a tournament, and then you're straight to work, working with players who are coming in early for the week, and you basically have to be available from five a.m. till you know nine p.m. every day, uh, and but there might only be actual three hours of work in that time. You just have to. It's just a lot of waiting around, basically, which I struggled with. There's only so much golf you can watch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it can, it, after a while, it gets a little bit, a little bit dull, a little bit draining. So, um, after a couple of years, I decided to come back to Australia, and there was some personal reasons there as well. My wife was more comfortable living in Australia and was struggling with time away from our friends and family. So, we decided to come back, and then I would travel back and forth and. The first year after I came back, I, I came back and did uh, I did like half the year here and half the year in the US, and then I've gradually been tapering that back um, up until 2020 when obviously I was in I was told to stay at home as everyone else in the world was, <laughs> and then since then I've been doing remote stuff. It's it's a funny space, and you've hit something on on the head there that I struggled with when I was coaching in Taiwan and the fact that you've got a squad of players or I had a squad of players obviously you've got a handful of tour players that, you, that you're, you're training each week they all require something different from you each week as well which is challenging so sometimes the players are there you have to be holding their hand every second every sec, every second of the day um, trying to build their confidence up and if they struggle on the course you'd have to spend some time with them on the range afterwards and blah 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 so there's all these different steps and it was it was a 12 14 hour day because you have to be there from start to finish and tweaking what you do for each of those players so how did you cope with the different requirements of the players that you were working with yeah, I, you you kind of get into a routine with different players. You sort of know what what they'll need and and when they when they like to do certain things. But you, know, you, you had to be quite reactive as well. Like I, I'd I'd write program the amount of programs I wrote and then just tore up because um, you know okay yeah we've got these these training sessions planned for this week but then a certain result completely throws out. Um, throws out the priorities and suddenly no no range session isn't oh, sorry um gym session isn't what i need i've got to go to the range uh, and then yeah it was difficult to make a plan it was difficult to get the athletes to stick to a plan as well um and so you, you just had to be reactive and, and try and coax them and say look try, let, let's if we stick to a plan we're going to get a lot more benefit in the long run um but there's only a, a certain amount of players who've got that luxury of being able to say yes, I understand I've got my tour card secured for this amount of time. And so I know that right now I've got to sacrifice a bit of range time for gym in order for me to get better physically so then I can reap the benefits later. But if every week matters and every week could be could be the week that you secure your card for the year, then it's just a short, a really short-term mentality. And of all the, all the players I was working with, um, yeah, they were all kind of, on that cusp of not having a secure tour card. Uh, and then Cameron and Jonas both won, if you remember. And that was Cam's first win on the PJ Tour. And the switch then was immediate. They were then bought into, because they had a secure tour card for two years, then they were bought into long-term processes and training at the expense of practice. And and, the, and they weren't so reactive and emotional, um, basically, and you could get a lot more work done. So that was, that was a really interesting shift in mentality there. And it's... And it's an advantage that top players have over, like you know, the top fifty players basically, or, or those who have secure tour cards. They really have a big advantage over the other guys, and so, and I think that's why you see it's so difficult to break into that 
area because not only are they playing all of the best money events with the highest world ranking points available, but they've just got that secure that secure kind of if this doesn't work out, then it's always next week or you know there's always next year. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. It's got to be hard as a trainer to sell the benefits of a heavy strength training week, for example, for a, on a player that's essentially trying to keep their tour card. So mm. if they're going to pull up sore for a, for a tournament week because you're doing a heavy heavy strength training week with them, um, that must be a hard sell sometimes for those players, as you said, challenging. Yeah, very difficult, very difficult. And that, and that goes, I mean, that, um, that fits with golf in general, especially when you're working with more elite players, you – uh, they have these variable schedules that are really hard to plan for, um, and then soreness uh, and you know de- delayed onset muscle soreness is um, uh, yeah really undesirable because it's because um, it can change feels and um, and then you know can directly inhibit performance like really drastically. So you have to be you have to be really careful with volume um, with how you with how you program and. Yeah, you, you perhaps can't get as much volume and as much as much intensity as you'd like, and then, and then you just have to try and maximise little windows. So if you've got a two week break, you, you, know, you do what you can and try and get that try and get that strength training in where possible. But yeah, high volume stuff never really was received very well. To be honest with you, anything working towards hypertrophy where you'd elicit a lot of soreness because the volume's high was was often just flat out rejected by players. <laughs> They said no. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. And there you go. All right. Well, you're the boss. And that's the other thing, because they are they are the boss. They they own they they have the power position in the relationship. Yeah, it's really hard to dictate things and say, look, I know what's best for you. Whereas in a team sport, you obviously you know what the coach is. The coach is the boss, and so you've, it's a it's a different dynamic. Yeah, I was fortunate in Taiwan being the squad coach that I had a bit more power than than you guys do because I wasn't an employee of them, of the players. I was an employee of the Golf Association, so I could essentially do what I wanted to do with them. So if I told them to train a certain way, they had no choice. Yeah, yeah. It's something that working with Cameron, it was it was going, okay, well, he went from Golf Australia funded and kind of, all right, mate, you've got to toe the line, you've got to do this, that, and the other, so, and to suddenly, like, well, he, he thought, oh, I'm paying you guys now. Like, I'm... <laughs> I'm your boss. <laughs> and so it was an, an interesting kind of like power dynamic there, especially for a 19 year old. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, how did you, you said you obviously spent some time with them, uh, spent heaps of time with them early on um, in person. You said something earlier that there's a whole lot of other people getting involved sometimes on tour when they're out there by themselves. So other trainers might pop their face up, or other coaches might pop their pop their heads in and give their two cents worth. How did you deal with that outside noise for those players? Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's um it's subtle. It's not it's not really blatant, but you just um you just have whisperings and like caddies are massive gossip mongers as well, and don't mind. You know, caddies are quite connected to the players, often friendly with the players, and so. They'll be putting their two cents in as well. It's um, and and I've been guilty of it when uh, I've been out at a tournament with Cam. We, you know, he grants his in the in the or this could apply to any player. Um, you're sitting on the range and you're seeing your player really struggle, like really really struggle, and trying to make a cut and he's trying to work stuff out in the range. And and everyone wants to help. The caddy wants to say something that's useful. The trainer wants to say something that's useful. And and so there's just a lot of input. I think you've got to you've got to go back to trusting the input from the person who's the expert in the field whether it be the coach or the trainer or 
um, or psychologist or whoever and just making the messaging really, really consistent and then just letting your player be aware that other people will try and put their two cents in but just try to stay stay focused on on the core messaging from the people you trust and with social media as well there's an abundance of stuff you know these these guys and girls are are pretty addicted to their phones and they there's an abundance of information that gets put in front of them every day i think the temptation to tinker and um, experiment is is really high yeah that's where we was headed i suppose if you're doing your job correctly and they're getting their results for themselves and seeing that out there they're probably going to be happy but then if performance slips a little then they they might start to play around with different ideas yeah yeah absolutely yeah and it's a testament to uh the last to cameron in the last couple of years that he hasn't seen any of his team any of his providers other than his caddy for the best almost two years and and to perform the way he has means one of two things either he doesn't really need us <laughs> or <laughs> or he's just very good at, at taking small bits of information and just trusting it. He just, you, you, can't, you can't be saying stuff like that. He'll give you the, give you the flick. You have to say that we worked so hard with you early on and set that groundwork in there in place there that you just go ahead without us for now, but we, you, you still have to have us there. That's another way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> So this is great, obviously, working with, with high-performance players and working with, with tool players, um, and that's obviously a really cool space to be involved with. The average player doesn't have the time that tool players do to work on their fitness or to work on their game. So how does your training change when you've got a, a 20 marker in front of you with, with regards to fitness training? I think the first thing is just getting a really clear idea of, of what they've got available to them. How much time have you got? What are your goals? How can we do as much as we can with the little time you've got and just try and make the training as effective as possible and try and find that minimal effective dose. And that's, that's been really important. And that's been something that I've tried to improve at because I used to overprescribe a lot. I used to just assume that everybody had loads of time and they loads of motivation and they would just get it done just because that's what elite players do for the most part. Um, but yeah, just learning that, you know, people have very limited time. Uh, they have and often lifestyle factors that don't facilitate having a lot of energy uh, uh, and um, they have narrow windows for workouts, which are often not at the optimal times for how they're feeling. And so you've got to give them, you've got to give them that minimal effective dose that's going to get a result without just overwhelming them. It's um again it comes down to, to coaching as well, and I, I speak about this with coaches all the time about getting to understand what the client's goals actually are and what kind of schedule they actually have, as opposed to having your preconceived ideas about I want to go down this path. Um, and it's a trap that I've fallen into in the past as well. So I want to, I I've seen this player in front of me. I'm going to work you on this, 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 and this because I think you should be doing this, this, and this instead of asking the client up front. Okay, what do you want out of this setup? How much time do you have available? What are your goals? Um, it's important to put that in place straight up. I think. I agree, and and then setting their expectations based on that. So say, so, okay, so you want to play off. You're currently on 15. You want to play off scratch in six months' time, and you've got two hours a week to work on it. And then just saying at that point, 
look, that goal is not realistic with that time frame and, <laughs> and, and the time available to it. So let's reset your goal. Let's reset the expectation and then work towards that in a, in a realistic fashion. Yeah. Do you work with the players' coaches in that type of setup as well, with the with the average player as well? Do you do you have any contact with their golf swing coach? Yeah. Yep. I am. Um, I always when I've assessed somebody, first first step is always an assessment. Um, and so when I've assessed somebody, I write a report, and then I always CC in uh, the coach to that report. And then if the coach is responsive and comes back and says, "Look, that's great," or "Can I ask a few questions?" Then I'll open a dialogue with them. Um, yeah, that's the way I tend to do things now. I used to try and be a bit more proactive and, and reach out, but I just didn't get a lot of response from a lot of people. So I got a bit jaded of that. And so it, I put the information out there, make it available to the coach. And if they want to interact, then they're great. Um, sometimes I'll request swing footage if it's relevant, but often people have got their own swing footage anyway. Hopefully it's changing. Hopefully coaches will start to engage a bit more with with you. Um, I think it's a, it's certainly a change in coaches coming through the systems now. Coming out there, they're starting to to understand that all those different tie-ins. So hopefully you get a bit more of a of a of a conversation going with the with the swing coaches as well in the future. It's it's a win win relationship if you can spend if you can spare the a few minutes to have a chat. You just you both sides learn so much, and the player benefits. Really cool. So, the common golfer issues you see out there when the average players, the problems that they have, is there something that jumps out at you all the time, or is it is it varied? I think it varies uh, quite a lot. Um, yeah, you, you can look at certain demographics and you see similar stuff. So, um, males over the age of 30 start to struggle with mobility especially uh, they often have poor and, and this as you get to into the 40s 50s and into the 60s and neck mobility becomes really restricted thoracic thoracic rotation is is often poor hip mobility starts to tighten up and so yeah with the, with that demographic it's it's really working on a lot of mobility work and giving them the, the tools and the, the techniques to to improve that themselves uh and then on the female side of things it's it's normally more um strength stability uh balance related and so the programs will be more focused on that but it's normally got normally got a bit of everything normally everyone's got some element of flexibility strength stability and movement pattern uh, focus in their program uh, yeah, so that, those would be the, the two main things, I think. Um, yeah, postures, forward, forward head position and forward shoulder positions are the other two that almost everybody has. I'm, I'm like flabbergasted if someone comes in, presents with good posture. And it's normally because they're really aware of it already. They've, they've already been doing uh, yoga, Pilates, and something that they've already addressed. I've rarely, I've rarely seen someone present with good posture and I've commented on it and said, "Wow, your posture is really good." And they've gone, "Oh, is it?" <laughs> well, they they know they, they, and they work on it. Um, most of us through lifestyle factors are just head forward, head forward, shoulder positions, and that then has implications for ability to set up properly and rotate efficiently as well. Certainly, um, a common thing in these these days when we're at computers and screens all the time. It's um, yeah, in that forward fixed posture can't be good for your golf swing. It's a terrible no, thing. No, no, exactly, yeah. 
So COVID obviously threw some spanners in the works for everybody as well. So you said you shifted to some online type training. How did you set up that from a from a fitness perspective? I've spoken about this in the past with golf coaches, but how did you set up your training in that online space? I built um, I built a, my own native app uh, years ago. It's one of one of the early things I did actually. I started working on a library of exercises way back when I was first working in that. In that empty academy room with Grant, um, and then that it started off as um, yeah, some still images and some descriptions of photos, and then that rolled into a bit of a, a really rudimentary um, app that a friend helped me build. Build, and then that developed into a, a more interactive thing where I could write programs and clients could interact with programs. And then I've recently rebuilt, rebuilt it again last year to to make it all much more user friendly and incorporate video and um, trackable metrics and, and other things that that make it a bit more of a com- comprehensive package for for someone looking to interact with a training program on their smartphone. Um, and so I was quite well prepared from that perspective. I already had that platform there. And then, yeah, just uh, just setting up um, using a very simple website through Shopify and, and employing a graphic designer to do some video uh, video and graphics work. And then setting up a three-tiered online training system, which anyone who wants to go on the website can have a look on my website. Um, and then, yeah, and that now that they, those two tools together enable me to um, work with clients all over the world in different time zones. And so I was I was quite well set up for it. I was very lucky actually. I didn't have to be too reactive. Which is really cool, and I did have it down to, to chat about the app. It's called GolfFit Pro. That's that's the app out there. So if you wanted to look it up in the in the stores, I'm sure you'll you'll find it out there. You must have been so ahead of the curve when it came to that. Like obviously, online coaching apps now are quite are quite common, but for you to go down that path, essentially ahead of the curve, ahead of anybody, what was the the thought process there when you first put it out there? I was. Um it was born out of frustration. I, I was I was writing programs for people, and then struggling to com- accurately convey how to do the exercise. So I, I played around with loads of different formats, like in Word and Excel, and um, bits trying to send people images and attach things. You see all sorts, of, right? When you go to the physio, or, or um, but especially before, it, it's got better in the last five years or so. But before then, it was you know stick figures and 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 it was so common that it'd be like okay someone would come back for a review after a month or two months okay how'd your program go oh yeah I did about fifty percent of it but I couldn't remember this exercise and I did this wrong I realised and then I couldn't remember that one and you just realised you weren't getting they, if they weren't doing the program properly they weren't getting the results they should have should have got so I decided to um, yeah first of all build an exercise guide. And then I wanted to make that interactive and it just sort of evolved from there really. And I just tinkered with it and found a good developer who really helped me a lot with and didn't charge me an awful lot. Um, and then it, yeah, it just evolved from that. And I just kept wanting to make it better. You know, you make something and then you think, oh, it could be better here, it could be better there. And you just make tinkering changes over years. Yeah. But now it's, it's easier than ever to do now because there's lots of, there's, there's some platforms where you can obviously, um, they provide the template and then you load up the exercises, your own exercises or use theirs uh, and then you pay a, a relatively small monthly fee and then you can you can just use their their platform essentially but with your content. So it, it's become easier to do. 
it's cool that you've gone out there and had a crack at it straight up without waiting to get it perfect. I think people get caught in the trap sometimes of trying to make it perfect prior to launching something where you've, you've kind of thrown something out there first up to, as a starting point and then increased and improved it as you've gone along, which is which is a cool thing to do. Yeah, I think, um, is it Tim? I'm going to butcher this quote, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Tim Ferriss that says something that's um, good enough and and finished is better than something that's perfect and, and unfinished. No, I would completely agree with that. And I think that that's cool that you've gone out and done that. Um, just quickly, we spoke about um, the common faults you see with golfers. What are some of the the common problems you see trainers doing with golfers? Is there something that they do with golfers that they shouldn't be doing? Is there something that you see trainers do with golfers that is that is bad for the golfer? Um, it, it's difficult for me to comment on that because I, first of all, I work in a private facility, and so I don't see a lot of other trainers working with golfers. Um, and and what what you see on on social media and the internet is only ever a snapshot of what the whole picture is. So it's difficult for me to comment exactly, but I think a, a pitfall that I've fallen into is, and we've touched on this already, is trying to get too specific too early. Um, and if, if you're if you're talking about strength, that would be okay. Let's let's just try and get as much rotational strength as possible, um, and that's fine. But if um, if the foundation of stability, mobility, and and even just just basic strength isn't there, then it's going to be hard for them to use that rotational strength efficiently. I think, um, and so yeah, chasing specific strength before before working on general strength would be a uh, a common mistake that I think gets made. No, that tends to make tends to make sense too. So we we spoke briefly off air about some postgraduate study that you're doing. So I've got a bit of a heads up from Scotty that you were looking at you're doing some postgraduate study. So you're doing a master's in strength and conditioning, if that's right. Is that what Scotty's yeah. told me? That's talk, right. Yeah. Talk me through that and how how have you found that? Um, I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's done through Edith Cowan University, um, and anyone who's thinking about doing some postgrad stuff uh, and they want to make it really specific to strength and conditioning, I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. The the course coordinator Greg Half is a is an absolute heavyweight in our field, and his his breadth and depth of knowledge is astounding, uh, like really really impressive. Um, and it's it's really well structured. It's um. You start off fairly general. You, you, you do um, biomechanics and exercise physiology and research methods in the first semester, and then the second semester you do um, you do physiological testing, advanced resistance training, and uh, current issues in strength and conditioning, and then you finish off the last semester with um, last semester is uh, testing, monitoring, and a practicum. And I, I've really just enjoyed the progression of knowledge. Um, whilst I've been doing this for 10 years um, and I, I, I kind of understand the context and I understand the practical side of things, having that theoretical, the, the much deeper theoretical base has given me a better understanding for the why and not just the, not just the how. And that's, and that's helped improve my programming a lot, I think. Yeah, I wish, I wish I'd done it earlier. One of the, one of the pre-questions you sent was what, what would you have done different in your career development I definitely would have done the high, le high level the the masters the postgrad stuff earlier I was a bit busy building a business and, and doing other things and and uh, obviously going out on tour was quite quite involved but I wish I'd done it earlier 
I will put my hand up and say that was that's one of the changes I would make my myself is doing my postgraduate study a heap a heap earlier in my career because it certainly makes a difference to you as a coach or it has for me as well and you're saying similar things so um, yeah it's just it's important to get that 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 training into your system early in the in the process I think so yeah, yeah. really cool I mean, obviously some people my wife studied for for eight years to become a clinical psychologist <laughs> that was, yes. We, we couldn't really both study kind of postgrad at the same time so we kind of took it in turn so it was one of the reasons that i delayed um, but yeah do it as early as you can i would say do it as young as you as young as you possibly can preferably when you have low low living expenses yeah i tend to agree there are you going to go down that path even further are you going to go towards a phd is that something that's in in the in the in the in the frame of thought categorically not no <laughs> I've really enjoyed the masters because it's so practically applied. But uh, yeah, the thought of doing another lit review, but I, I get like cold sweats. It's just not my thing at all. Like, trawling through researches and then trying to present a coherent argument is just—I'm I'm not that great at it. I'm much more practically applied. So I'll leave that to the—I'll leave that to the, the intellectual heavyweights like Scott Williams to uh, to take care of. I get that. I get that. I've got no issue with that whatsoever. So, <laughs> so mate, there's five questions that I like to throw to the each of the guests that come on the podcast. So I'm going to throw those at you now. So the first one is any tips for – now, you can answer this from your point of view. So any tips for trainers out there or also any tips for golf coaches out there? How can they improve what they're giving to their students? I think get educated uh, first up. Get, get theor- theoretical uh, – deep theoretical knowledge first up um, and then I think be willing to learn and to listen and to and to shadow people go and seek out the people that do a really good job in your area and go and spend time with them generally people are really receptive it's a bit of a compliment if someone kind of rings you up and say hey can I come and watch you teach or watch you coach it's um I think most people are really receptive to it and open to it and you'll you'll end up probably getting a kind of an it's an unstructured mentoring relationship, which can serve you really well. Um, I think working with a variety of people early is really, really important because um, then you get an idea of of what what's feasible, what's not, uh, limitations, and you just get exposed to lots of different quirks and different things with the body or the golf swing, depending on your field, that, that can help broaden your knowledge and understanding. Um, and then I'd say... Get if you can uh, do do some significant upskilling in terms of your IT, your computer, your computer skills, Excel, even coding. Get a really thorough understanding of that because that's the way things are headed. Headed, and that that then allows you to be more organised and structured, and um, and record people's information better, and and essentially deliver a better service. I think. I think that's, that's really cool advice. I think, and just to, to cover back on one of the first points you made there, I think it's very easy to get inside your own echo chamber and hear the same things all the time. So sometimes going out and seeing someone who you possibly don't agree with completely with regards to how they go about it from a coaching perspective or whatever and seeing what they do, you'll always pick up a couple of things, I think. You always find something that works for them that you'll apply personally so i think it's sometimes good to see someone who you don't get on with completely or see what they do and you're not quite sure why they do what they do and i think that's a good idea too i like i certainly like that advice i think it's a 
That's a great idea. What you see online, is, remember that's only ever a snapshot of what goes on. It's only part of the conversation. So watching them, watching them actually work and, and, and understanding why they do it is important. I agree. How about players out there? Then some advice for for players out there. For, for what's a what's a simple thing that the average golfer can do to improve himself? I think being being patient um, in terms of developing your body and improving your body. Be patient. Stick to a process and just let the incremental gains add up over time. We as golfers tend to want to fix something really, really quickly and see see something change really quickly, and and it's really difficult to do in the golf swing, but even more so in the body. These physical physiological changes that need to happen don't happen overnight. They they need to be just be chipped away at and and let those incremental gains just just accrue, and then you know one day you'll wake up and realise, wow, my body has changed so much in a year, even though I didn't notice it on a day to day basis. Just, just quickly covering on that because it's it's really important to to stress that point. I think it's very hard to it's easy sometimes to get caught in everything happening really quickly. You get stuck on what's happening each day as opposed to seeing that overall all picture. So setting smaller goals in between that large long term goal, I think is important. So you can tick something off, so to speak, as opposed to getting caught up as I have to get to this part that's going to take me six, twelve months, having those smaller little steps in there is important, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's um it's um yeah, so it's it's a f- frustrating thing for my own personal uh, experience as a player as well to say okay i'm trying to get to this level but if i can't tick something off in between that it's very hard to see that long-term goal coming to fruition yes yeah now you said earlier that you would you would do some post-grad study earlier on so is there anything else that you would change in your career journey so far uh i think and this again was slightly influenced by um, personal factors, but I think I probably would have stayed out on tour maybe another year or two. Yeah, I perhaps perhaps got a bit reactive there, jumped off a bit too quick. So perhaps would have stayed out a little bit longer. But again, that being said, you said like, and you you being in that same space week in week out, and after you've been to those. Because they're, they're essentially playing the same tournaments, the same tour stops every week, every year. You're not seeing anything new. It's the same same thing every day. I can certainly get why it's a bit of a tiresome grind sometimes. Yeah, 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 possibly, yeah. <laughs> but that being said, I'm sure that you couldn't get sick of going to some of those iconic courses out there when they play Pebble Beach or the Masters or somewhere like that. I'm sure you can't get sick of going to those places. No, that's right. Yeah, those those special places are, are pretty awesome, especially if they're if, if there's if there's good nature around it, like like a Pebble Beach or uh, Torrey Pines or you know great scenery. Then that that makes a difference for sure. I I really enjoyed those stops a lot. I, I had the experience of going to Junior Worlds at Torrey Pines with the Taiwanese kids, and yeah, it's um it's a pretty awesome, spectacular vistas off the off off the cliffs there. So it's a pretty cool place to go and visit. Yeah, very much so. Really cool. So five years' time, where do you see yourself or fitness training in general? Hopefully we're seeing it continue to evolve and get more more um, into golf coaching, but where do you see yourself or golf coaching um, or golf training in five years' time? Yeah, that's um, interesting. I think golf coaching has been an explosion in tech and analysis, um, and I think the fitness trainers and strength and conditioning coaches are – I think as a as a whole, we're quite 
behind in that. We don't use tech and we don't do assessments in a very um, in, in a very objective manner. And I think it's now becoming more affordable. Um, I've started using a, a system called Axit recently, which measures force, uh, and you can basically apply it to pretty much any movement you can think of. And so I've started measuring um, rotator cuff uh, and, and, and the hip rotator, adductor, abduction, basically all, all, all the all the major ranges through hips, shoulders, and torso that are really hard to objectively measure from a strength perspective without uh, a, a quantifiable force output. So I've started using that, and that's been a real game changer for me. That's changed my programming and changed my insights into the athletes I work with. Um, so I think I think we'll go further down, down that track, and I hope we do. Incorporation of technology, and then using that to to program more effectively and get really nitty gritty and specific on on how we can balance someone's body and, and where where we can identify strengths and weaknesses. I think I'd like to see things go a little bit more automated from my perspective as well. I'm I'm currently kind of working on some stuff where I've got a little bit trying to incorporate some artificial intelligence into my programming trying to take some of those decisions which i make i have to make for every individual program trying to see if i can put that into a, an ai based system where the programming can be done a little bit more automatically and then i can jump on the back end and tweak accordingly so i i think i'd like to see it head in that direction a little bit more certainly from my own business perspective how do you find that switch towards that type of programming? It must be, I'm guessing it'd be hard to give up that control sometimes as well. And it's, I suppose there's still some sort of art to it as well. It's not about just pure generic programming for players. You have to try and have that, that kind of personal connection with the person in front of you to be able to get the program exactly right. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think that's where I'd like to see I wouldn't like to give up total control there, obviously. I think if I could take some of the decision-making out uh, and have that automatically generated, and then once the program's been written, I then come in and can go, oh, no, that's not quite right, that's not quite right, change this rep range, change that exercise, and then and that, that sort of properly personalizes it to that person. Um, but, man, the, st- the stuff you can do now with artificial intelligence is I'm just starting to explore it now, and it's mind-blowing just how smart how smart these systems can be. Yeah, it is cool. And again, if it, if it gives you a a seventy five percent correct starting point, then that's going to be it's going to take some some time um, to to be able to uh, improve your own skills. So instead of spending all that time yourself getting that starting point, if it if you've got that starting point done for you, then you're going to get some yeah. extra time back, which is always a positive. Exactly. And if I can take that technology and put it in my app, then the people who are filling out questionnaires in the app at the moment and getting recommendations on a right now they're getting recommendations for one of you know a dozen different programs well if i can have them fill out that questionnaire and then the app automatically generates a program to them which is 75 percent of of a personalized program well that's a that's a huge step forward yeah, for sure. So where do you go for further learning for yourself? Is there any any sites or any podcasts that you, you tune into that you, you go out when you're seeking more information? Yeah, I really – I tend to stick to, to research-based stuff a lot these days. Um, so through through the master's um, course, I've been obviously given access to 
pretty much every scientific journal article ever written. <laughs> and so I, I do that. Uh, I, I go um, through the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, ASCA, and their journal is excellent. Um, that comes out quarterly. Um, and they've got a lot of courses, resources. They've got their core courses, um, which are brilliant. And then they've got a lot of subsidiary courses as well that, that I go to. Um, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, which is the American, um, which is the American version of, of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, is very good too. Um, and then, yeah, to be honest with you, Brent, you probably don't want to hear this, but I'm not a big podcast listener. To be honest with you, <laughs> except for <laughs> so coaching uncovered, though. Of course, yeah, yeah, just yeah. <laughs> one of those. But yeah, I don't listen to um, don't listen to a lot. But I'm not a big podcast guy. Um, and then. I like to read in different different areas. So I like to read in economics and uh, decision uh, sort of decision making theory and um, other things that help me understand how people's brains work a little bit better. And then that helps improve my communication and uh, and helps me make less crap decisions as well. So not yeah, all good. Be my go tos. All good. Uh, plenty of good advice here. And I think it's important to go down reputable sources so i think you going down that scientific background is certainly especially in your your field that's certainly good advice for anyone that wants to get involved yeah the obviously you can you can go to youtube and and social media but try not to my advice would be try not to um try not to let that influence you too much without doing some further research on the why and the how and where where that particular exercise or coaching tip fits within the broader spectrum because you can get super confused really quickly otherwise i think makes sense makes sense um so apart from the app which is golf fit pro we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can find that um social media handles sites people can go to to find you yeah, if uh, golffitpro.net is the website and then um, golffitpro, all one word, is my handle, I believe, for social media. Right. Um, I'm trying to be better on those. I'm not very not very prolific on those platforms. I'm trying to be a bit better. But website and app is probably your, probably your go-to. I will put some links to that in the, in the show notes, everyone, so they can find you and get in touch if they want to do some work with you or just have a conversation um, to, to pick your, your brain, your smart brain in this space. So really cool. Mate, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate your time today. Um, I know that you, you're flat out and it's um, it can be hard to, to give up a full hour to come and talk to me, but so I certainly appreciate you coming in and doing that for me today. Yeah, absolutely great. No worries. Um, thank you for having me. If, if anyone listening is interested in um, reaching out for mentoring, um, happy to happy to help. Uh, you know, I don't think that it's going to end up in you paying absorbed amounts of money. It's a, I'm happy to help people out for free and just point people in the right direction, answer questions, and um, yes, yeah, so I don't hesitate to reach out. <laughs>